Case number 002. Addendum A. 27th of Dijon. 976. The following is an eyewitness account of the first escape of Master Rudigor Vradov during the height of his transformation. Written by a woman by the name of Sveta. No surname. Servant to Lady Galena Vradova. Having had more than one conversation with this woman, I can say that she has a tendency toward the dramatic. She expressed a desire to publish a memoir of her years of service, and her confidence in the value of such work borders on the delusional. While she is certainly of sound mind, the following depicts a scenario that should be taken with a pinch of salt to account for artistic interpretation. The beast screams like a dying child. I hold a frail mother in my arms. She fights to be free. Her own arms are broken branches beneath autumn leaves. Yet they would tear out her still-beating heart if it would give her boy a moment's peace. I have been in the steward's service for seventeen years. The Vradov are my family, though I will never be theirs. I tend to the lady's needs, change her clothes, bring her meals, wash her twisted body, brush and file her teeth. When she soils herself, it is my voice that soothes her shame, and my hands that make her clean. It was the morning of the first frost that I found my lady's chambers empty. She had spent the evening prior crying herself to sleep as her son suffered the worst of his transformations. I woke early in the chair beside her bed. Her thin, pale claw held in my hand with as much strength as she could muster. But she slept. A blessing from the Nitonim. I freed myself and set about my morning duties before ordering the lady's porridge. She would awaken in an hour's time with an impossible hunger, only to be sickened by food after a mere three bites. But still I fetched a full serving, in the hope, the desperate hope, that my lady might feast that she might regain her strength. She was so very strong once. When I returned to the room, she was gone. A chill, like the icy hand of a vardulag, plucked the strings of my spine. Surely my lady has collapsed on her way to the privy. She has broken a limb in search of me. She could not stand for long and must not have gone far. I put down her porridge and began tracing the halls. No whispers, no whimpers, no call for help. If my lady was injured, she was unconscious, or worse. When I heard her voice, my vision blurred, hot tears on my cheeks. She was singing the sweet song of a mother to her child, a lullaby. But when I saw the door of the young master's room open, the cold hand returned. I could hear the physician coming for the boy's morning checkup, 
I do not know why, but I hid in the linen closet. Surely, if I had gone to her, I might have convinced the physician that she had asked me to bring her to her son. No harm done. But the voice of my father spake to my heart. Hide, fool girl. I peered through a crack in the door. The window at the end of the hall cast blue-gray light of autumn on the burgundy carpet. And I could see the physician, his boots thumping as he made his way into the room. No, 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 she cried. But it was too late. The baying of a hound, its voice too human, curled into a snarl. I could hear a splatter, my lady's scream, a wet sound like a mouthful of food, damp cracking, bone. The commotion brought two of the house guard. I watched them stand abreast outside the room, spears at the ready. A great shape, like a bear, knocked one spear aside and took the other to the belly. The man who wounded the beast had his head stove in by a mighty claw. The other, his belly open, like a pot of offal, spilled onto the floor. The smell sickened. I nearly fainted from the horror, but I could not stop watching as the monster began to devour the organs of the men sent to protect him. I wept. I could not help myself. A sob leapt from my throat unbidden, and I saw, as he pulled his blood-slick face free from the hollow chest of Lieutenant Manyard Kruzik, and pointed it toward the closet in which I hid. Run, fool girl, that voice again. I did not hesitate. I knew he would tear down the door as easily as he tore apart those poor boys. I would not make it far before he was upon me, so I made for the fastest way I could find. Across the hall, the small door of the dumbwaiter. I hit the call button at a run and pulled up the door. Flannels, soiled with blood and pus, were piled onto the platform. I screamed over the sound of claws tick, tick, ticking toward me. I piled the foul damp linens onto the ground, a smell like bandages and sick. I could not control my arms or legs. Panic was all over me. I had to get inside. My own screams bounced back at me from the cold metal box as I climbed onto the platform. A piece of jagged steel sliced open my leg, and I could feel the hot blood pouring over my foot. We both howled, me in pain, him in hunger. I pulled my legs in. The open flap of split skin rolled beneath my hand like wet, supple leather. I slammed the door down just as hot, damp breath of the beast flooded the chute. I wept there a moment. In silent horror, the laundry girls did not hear the bell. I will die here, I thought. I could hear him snuffling along the edges of the door. The sniffs broke into another sound, but I must have imagined it. I was sick with madness, 
The mind plays tricks in panic. He could not be laughing. A sliver of light punctuated the thought as a single claw slipped its way beneath the door and began to slowly lift it up. No more tears would come, too afraid to weep, too afraid to scream. I saw the gnarled grimace of a rabid hound smiling at me with the pale blue eyes of a child. A loud metal crash released the brake on the platform, and I dropped as the boy's claws slashed at the place where my face had been only a moment ago. I broke my ankle and wrist, racing against the impact. The ladies pulled me from the dumbwaiter, but I could not rest. I knew he would come for me. I ran as best I could, leaving a trail of blood from the gash in my leg. My fears were validated when I heard a crack of splintering wood and desperate screams from outside the doors. I ran from the laundry into the scullery, ordering the girls to stay away from the doors. They did not listen and paid with their lives. I found the meat cellar at the back of the kitchens and bade the cook and his men to follow me inside, that we might be safe there. They laughed. They died. I heard them through the iron door of the frigid locker. When the beast had had his fun, he finally found his way to the cellar. The door was barred and even his strength could not bend the steel. The sound of claws. Then, a song. Broken. Inhuman. A lullaby. I remained in the locker for four hours. I refused to leave until the boy was sedated and the lady was put to bed. Two weeks later, the boy was back to normal again. He was brought to my quarters by his father to apologize for what he had done. I'm so sorry, miss, he said with sad eyes. I never meant to do any harm. I can hardly remember what happens when I'm sick. I was the picture of good help. I spake my words, the words servants are born speaking. Words of deference, of apology, humble, solemn, kind words. But as they left, the boy flashed a smile over his shoulder and began humming a quiet lullaby. In what time I have spent with young Rudigal, both amid and after his transformation, I have learned much of the boy. Allow me to say that the savagery expressed here does not seem entirely out of character. Theatrical though this account may seem, with the exception of some minor improbabilities, the story does hold water. And those bits that can be have been corroborated by other survivors. I do so hope the boy outgrows the cruelty so common to young children. The alternative is too disturbing to consider. <laughs>